Okay, well, I am here today. My name is Paul Hamilton, and we're doing a podcast with Taylor Hutchinson. Um, good morning, Taylor. Good morning. Um, we are going to be talking about uh, cybersecurity, digital assets, and uh, Taylor's going to talk a little bit about um, cybersecurity threats uh, for your business, and I'm going to talk about digital asset inheritance and protecting uh, and, and passing along digital assets. Uh, so why don't you, as a way, uh, Taylor, talk about um, yourself and what company you work for and what kind of services y'all provide? Of course, yeah. I work for a company here in Valdosta, Georgia called Next Step Technologies. I'm an account executive. We help businesses uh, become more profitable by utilizing uh, technology services, uh, cloud services, and security services. We want to be your company's uh, IT provider, your, your tech guy, your CTO. And so what we are able to do is to streamline, uh, schedule, and keep an eye out on the ever-changing uh, tech landscape for your business um, to protect it and to make you more efficient and ultimately more profitable, you know, um, I basically sell uptime, and that you know everyone needs to be up. You know, time is money. Oh yeah, and so that's what we try to do. Well, that's great. Well, I know that that's very important. It, I know as a small business owner, um, when we lose uh, internet connectivity, which now runs our phones, our computers, mm-hmm. our everything seems to have gone to online rather than desktop based. Um, so it's time is money, and, yes. and when you're you're down, you're not working. So that's a great service. Um, as I said earlier, my name is Paul Hamilton. I'm the owner and attorney at Hamilton Estate Planning, and we do four primary things. Uh, for, of course, the broad uh, category of estate planning in that we do, we prepare wills and trusts. Um, we also uh, provide health care and financial powers of attorney. We do Medicaid asset protection, uh, so we can make sure that uh, if you or your loved one ever needs uh, nursing home care that um, they don't have to spend their life savings uh, doing that and, and uh, making sure that we uh, protect those assets so they can be passed down. We also do VA pension planning, special needs trust, all those under the umbrella of, uh, of estate planning. Uh, we also do business formation, uh, setting up and organizing limited liabilities, uh, companies, corporations, nonprofits, professional corporations, um, and also under that business uh, uh, area, we also do farm and business succession planning. Those often tie directly to uh, your estate and passing that down, uh, whether it's uh, whether you're going to sell that business or farm or your family members are going to pick it up and run with it. I have a young son who's 11 that's already decided he wants to be a lawyer. Oh, wow. So yeah. this is <laughs> something that's uh, coming up in our family. Uh, we also do residential real estate. That's something that I've done since I started practicing law 14 years ago. Um, and we find that complements our state uh, practice uh, quite well. Um, and lastly, we do probate administration uh, after death. Uh, when when your loved one has passed, and then you have to either probate a will or do an administration um, to uh, pass the, the property down to the, to the proper uh, individuals or who your uh, loved one has selected. So that's a little bit about what we do uh, at Hamilton Estate Planning. I guess we'll just jump right in, Taylor, and I'll ask you some questions. All right. Um, on uh, cybersecurity in, in 2019, um, you know, and and. Y'all have done a fine article. Next Step has done a fine article um, that covers this stuff. So we're going to kind of walk through it and talk about different threats. And the first one I want to ask you about is social engineering hacks. Yes. Can you tell us what a social engineering hack and give us some examples? So social engineering is the uh, what was the con you know a con artist, but in the digital sense. Uh, what hackers have found that is it's easier to exploit the innate. Uh, Trust that we have for everyone. You know, we want to we want to be, we want to be able to trust someone. Uh, you know, we 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 can secure an infrastructure in a business, their network and their servers and the computers. But at the end of the day, the weak link is the is us. We are you know wanting to trust someone. So there are scams out there to impersonate individuals, such as your cell phone provider, Apple, Microsoft, uh, the IRS, anything that they can do to get your personal information, which is what they're after, to exploit, sell, uh, use for their own purposes. You know, they have an end goal, and it may not be you. You may be a, 
uh, means to an end, especially if you work for a business. You know, if they just can get your credentials uh, to your passport, to your computer, and they have access to everything in your company. Yeah. And, you know, I think, Taylor, I remember someone saying that the, uh, the IRS will never call you. Yes. They will always send you something in the mail. They'll never call you. But I know that there, I see occasionally, uh, I've even got the calls myself from someone purporting to be the IRS mm-hmm. and uh, other people that'll contact my office like, I got this call from the IRS. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's often uh, local law enforcement often puts out there the IRS will not contact you by phone. Mm-hmm. Um, but and, uh, and I'm not sure. I don't think they do by email either. If I, that's, if that's correct. correct. And, that, and that's the same goes for Microsoft and Apple and all these big tech companies. It's hard for us to get them on the phone. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to be calling you to, to say, "Oh, your your computer has a virus." They're not monitoring that to that all. Your your IT champion, your IT provider is the one that's monitoring that. So that's the one you need to trust. I always tell people, you know, if you ever get a call or email like that, <laughs> don't click on the links or don't don't answer. You know, just hang up the phone and call your IT person, right? And say, "Hey, is this legitimate?" Oh, good good point. So, can you tell us what phishing and whaling are? So phishing and whaling. Phishing is a little is more a more of a target type of hack. So that's like a, a individual email or social or a social media message you may get, um, or a coworker or a boss. Uh, and they kind of, it's more of an. Sometimes it can be. I could say, hey, Paul sent me an email. What's, what do you click here? Oh, he wants to you know share this photo or this 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 PDF or this fax with me. But I'm not expecting any of that from you. Mm-hmm. And without checking with you first, I just click on the link and. That, yeah. that installs a malware on my machine and or crypto locker, which has become very prevalent in the business realm. Um, now, whaling's a little more uh, looking for a bigger fish. It's like uh, when the hacker decides a whale, their targets are more grand. Um, they try to convince an accountant to transfer money to them or gain access to insider information or simply infect the uh, hard-protected part of your network. Whaling involves a hacker pretending to be one of the top execs at a company, the owner, the CEO, or the head department. Um, and that's a little more dangerous because you trust the authority figures in your life. And right. it's and that, and that goes back to the IRS and Microsoft thing. You trust that they're, they have your best interest at heart. And that kind of goes back to social engineering. It's we want to trust somebody, especially with something that we don't fully comprehend. You know, I, I don't fully comprehend estate planning, uh, uh, tax law, or things like that. So I'm going to refer to my CPA <coughs> or my lawyer. And so that's why I think it's very important to have a CTO. Some, uh, you know, every business has a lawyer. Every business has an accountant. It's very important to have someone you trust with technology. Yeah, so you can pick up the phone when you get that that questionable uh, email or a request, you mm-hmm. know. Correct. Okay, well, talk to us about uh, – Brute force attacks. What is a brute force attack in the meaning of uh, cybersecurity? So that's more or less what happens. uh, They're trying to steal credentials, your password, your username. um, But they do it in the sense that, so you have uh, permutations of passwords. Like, you know, if your password is password12345, they can put that in a program, and it's going to check every iteration of that password. Whether it be, they, they can check the birth dates, they can check. Dogs. They can do some research on you, plug some variables in a program, and that runs thousands and thousands and thousands of uh, iterations of what that password or username could be until they get a hit that's correct. If you ever see, you know, if you um, one program, one uh, TV show that does this well is uh, Mr. Robot on uh, USA. Okay, um, it shows uh, Elliot the hacker. Um, he basically looks at these social media accounts get some information about this individual and then runs uh, a program and it goes through I think, 10,000 iterations of a password. And so when people ask me, well, my password, no one can guess my password. It's not about guessing a password. It's about just a, a computer guessing it. Yeah, it's no longer pen and paper, someone trying to, to work this out. They've got, they're using the harnessing the power of mm-hmm. computer computers to come up with thousands of different combinations, millions, I guess. It's just math at that point. Wow. Okay, well, talk to us um, about uh, one of the things in your article I noticed is that crypto jacking mm-hmm. um, is a new thing in 2018 and 19. And what is, what is crypto jacking? So everyone's heard of Bitcoin and the cryptocurrency for craze and all that and mining. So that, 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 that's a two-part question. So cryptocurrency is typically mined, and that's just a computer running through 
math problems, essentially, to make a, a coin okay. or a part of a coin. And that's worth money. You can go take that coin and exchange it online for actual U.S. currency or whatever currency you have available. Or there are many people who actually trade, and you, I can buy products with cryptocurrency. Um, so what the crypto jacking does is it hacks your computer and utilizes your computer resources because it costs money and power and time to uh, mine, quote-unquote, a coin. And so what these hackers can do is they can take over you know, hundreds of computers and install mining programs on them and uh, link them to their crypto wallet to where they're just receiving essentially free money off your power consumption. So people, you know, back when cryptocurrency was uh, taking off uh, graphics cards and power supplies for build, building computers, were the prices were skyrocketing because everyone wanted to build a mining computer. And the trick is is balancing power consumption versus mining. So if you're paying X amount of dollars for the power consumption of that computer, but only mining so much, it's not worth it. So if they can just you know decentralize essentially the mining process, they're making just 100% profit because they're not paying for any of that. How does, and, and, and I guess the crypto jacking and, and trying to understand mm -hmm. cryptocurrency, mm -hmm. so they could, would there be any utility in trying to get into, let's say this laptop that's sitting here? I mean, is there any, any I mean, because I don't have any Bitcoin or anything like that because I don't trade in it, but could they tap into this laptop to try to use it to get yeah. cryptocurrency? Yeah, so what they're doing is just installing a miner program, and they're using your com computer power to solve those problems because cryptocurrency can either be uh, bought or mined, and so mining is more or less... What is mining? Stealing? Yeah. Uh, if, yeah, technically in the sense of, yeah, strict definition of stealing. They're stealing money from you because they're stealing compute power now. Okay. Now, now as far as legal jargon, and I don't know if legislation has caught up to that. Right. But in, in a sense, cybersecurity, they have breached your computer, and there's there's legal consequences for that. Sure. Um, as far as you know, tacking on for like crypto mining or without authorization or consent I'm not I'm not entirely sure on the legal aspects of that okay but I was just curious because it's such an it's such a nefarious uh, area to me to think about you know money kind of floating through the internet and, mm -hmm. and I can think of it in, as PayPal accounts and my accounts at different banks and stuff you know that's mm -hmm. money that I can go to ATM and get cash out but the right. the whole concept of Bitcoin still seems foreign to me even though I know it's out there and even for a technology professional, it can be it can be somewhat you know esoteric um, yeah. of a concept, but it's and I want I'm not gonna try to explain on this podcast, but essentially what they're trying to do is utilize your power to mine Bitcoin, and that's and that's free money for them because they're not having to pay for the power consumption that's using your computer. So you'll actually see a degradation in efficiency on your machine or your server or your network. And typically, they want to target high power machines to get the most bang for their buck. Okay. Well, that's good to know because that's not a high-powered machine. <laughs> so maybe I won't be a victim of a crypto jacking. But what can you? There are are there things that you can put in place on, I guess, uh, protections that, that you could put on computers or. Yeah, there's there 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 are layers of security that are involved, and it's not it's not just on the lap, the computer itself. Like for consumers, yes, a consumer laptop needs to have antivirus, needs to have your firewalls enabled, always be updating your machine. Uh, keep your latest updates for the software. Um, do routine cleaning, uh, and that's that's kind of what you do on the consumer side. On the business side, you want to be careful about your network, your computers, your input because you're not the only one on that computer network. Right. Someone else could get infected in accounting and then affect sales. I see. Because you're all connected in one network, um, and that's and I, and that goes back to the consumer side of things. If you're on a public Wi-Fi network at a hotel or you know Starbucks. I highly recommend looking into a VPN service. Ah, okay. That's that that kind of helps you with. Uh, explain what VPN. I know that you and I know what it is, but explain for our listeners who what a VPN. So it's a uh, virtual private network, and they, so essentially what you're doing is creating a uh, a tunnel between. So your computer's on Starbucks network, and you're creating a private virtual tunnel to a whatever. Say you have Nord VPN, for example. Mm -hmm. You're connecting to their servers and then to the internet, and so there's an encrypted traffic between you and their servers. So no one on Starbucks network can technically monitor what your uh, traffic is. You know, your bank, your what if you're going to your bank account or your 
uh, your email, a message to a friend, or what have you. Right. Because not, not all that traffic in transit is encrypted. But what that does is it puts inside a, a tunnel, a concrete tunnel, where no one can really see it except the VPN provider. Yeah. So yeah. it's not totally anonymous. So you got to trust and look into which VPN provider you have. Um, there are also other ways to do it. Like we set up networks to where uh, employees can remote into the business at, from home. Right. And through a secure VPN traffic, they're able to connect to the firewall and then into the business. And it's, it's, it's secure. That's great. And, and yeah, I've, I've done some studying myself on that. So. Uh, you know, we uh, we all carry uh, smartphones now, yep. uh, business uh, owners and employees and whatnot. <clears throat> Can you talk to us how that's uh, how that's a threat for the future? Uh, smart devices and all of that, um, that's something we're, you know, it's not necessarily new, but it's because everyone brings their own device to work. And 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 not not to mention the, you know, the Alexas, the, you know, sorry, the Echo Dots, the mm-hmm. Google Home uh, smart thermostats, all these smart devices. Uh, IoTs become a huge, huge industry. But the problem with that is there's no standardization for security protocols, and not everything's being up to date and all things like that. There was a huge hack. I want to say it was in 2017 or 2018, to where all these smart devices were basically <coughs> controlled like bots to uh, essentially attack a particular network. And they brought down. I want to say it was the it was the health it was the health system in Europe or Britain, Great Britain, something like. I can't remember the entire details. Yeah. But essentially, they were able to take you know, thermostats, uh, smart devices, little even the little Amazon you know buttons, anything connected to the internet directly. Um, they they can be you know if they're not up to date and uh, the protocols aren't uh, put in place for security, it uh, they're open to attack. They, you know, and this real and that's we're, we're kind of in the uh, Wild West, Wild West age of that right now. Um, so you, it, it's almost to the point where you have to cons- consult someone who really is in tune with different providers, who's updating their stuff, who's in the know. You know, it's not just some random Chinese company offering yeah. you a, you know, a, a random IoT device. That you, yeah, it's a great product, but how long are they going to support that? What do you mean by IoT? Uh, the Internet of Everything. Oh, okay, okay. I saw that in the in the article. So. Internet of Things, Internet of Everything. It's you know, it, uh, there's a lot of acronyms out there, but it's the Internet of Things. Yeah, essentially, and everything seems to be. It more and more things are connected. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from dishwashers <laughs> to your dryer, yep. to your vacuum, your mm-hmm. smart uh, uh, vacuum at your home, your Roomba or whatever. So it really is amazing. Um, and I guess you kind of alluded to this, talking about an attack. They use ransomware and to uh, to attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was uh, something about hospitals and businesses that holding them hostage. Can you talk about how ransomware is used to hold mm-hmm. uh, businesses hostage? So essentially, you know, once they've gotten to net, once they've you know social engineered their way in, fished, brute forced, whatever. Once they're in, uh, the typical. Attack we're seeing nowadays is ransomware, and so what that is is encrypting your data, your financial data, your business data, your personal data, consumer data, what have you, and saying, "Hey, you can't get this back until you pay me X amount of dollars in Bitcoin or dollars or what have you." It's been Bitcoin lately because it's just it's harder to trace. I see. Um, <clears throat> so what some hospitals have had to do is they've had to pay ransoms. Like wow. to get back up and running because they have because their protection their protection plan in place didn't didn't go through they didn't have a they either didn't have a disaster recovery plan or their disaster recovery plan failed um, and so what they've had to do essentially is pay a ransom you know a couple hundred thousand million hundred thousand to a million dollars there's stories all over the web of the amounts of money that have been paid in ransom that's incredible <clears throat> I couldn't imagine coming into my law office. On a Monday morning, mm-hmm. with a message that said, "Hey, you need to wire us twenty twenty grand to get the key to unlock your data." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it and that's the thing that it's in, it's encrypted. So there are some tools that are being you know uh, made to where they can in, uh, unencrypt the data, but new new versions of this ransomware are coming out all the time, and so it's hard. You're, you're kind of playing this game of cat and mouse with right. the hackers, and so the best plan we we, we have several ways of combating it and one of those is having a disaster recovery plan and so you don't have to pay the ransom you can just say back up to it the, the, the day before it happened 
I see. Um, but the pro- some problem is a lot, not a lot of people, you know, watch their backups or verify them. They don't know they got hacked, and then they're like a week behind. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it can really become a drag on the business. Like you know, can you take that much that much of a hit? Yes, and mo- monetarily or time lost from recovering from it. Yes. So because if you're if you're down for days on end, not mm-hmm. being able to be productive, and you don't have access to your data, I can see how that would be a real problem. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk to me about remote packet reading? This is something I was not aware of. Um, what is remote packet reading? So what this is, it kind of goes back to the VPN conversation um, with the remote packet reading. Um, when data is in transit, your passwords, your username, um, or you know, credit cards, what have you, if, if it's being transferred over like the online shopping, a lot of times it can can be encrypted. But on that local network, uh, I'm, there are, there are programs out there where I can read traffic. Essentially, so inside a network, there's always pa- packets going from your computer to the w- wireless router to the internet. But when the, the transition between your computer and the wireless router, you can read those packets. Um, and if it's not encrypted or secure, or if, it, if it's over a bad protocol, it, you can uh, you can read what that is. And lot and there's some in, there's been instances where people can read plain text passwords. Just oh wow, right up. And a VPN would be one thing that might that's one help reason. protect yeah, against yeah. such things. Yeah, a VPN is one way to do it. Um, there's a lot of other methods, um, but remote packet reading is something that is more of a very targeted attack. Like someone, someone's has put in or is on the network uh, monitoring that mm-hmm. in in real time, like uh, or recording it. So like you know they either left a uh, device on the network to just re- to record packets and they'll go back later and look look through it. Okay. Essentially, that's, that's, that's typically what's 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 done. It's, it's a rogue uh, device. Okay. Knowing how important now um, websites are to getting business and stuff, can you talk about website hacking mm-hmm. uh, and how how that works and how that can be dangerous to your business? The biggest thing with website hacking is protecting your your admin credentials, your passwords, um, and you don't want that to be left open to the open internet. Uh, you know, instances of we know uh, what was it? Is it was what's the big what's the big credit card company that got hacked? Um, was it? Uh, I know Target got hacked. Target, but this is one of the credit check companies. Uh, oh, Equifax. Equifax. Thank yes. you. Thank you. Yeah, they. Their password, you know, to the one of their servers was, you know, access, being able to be able to access from the web, and that's where where that kind of stemmed from with the admin. And it was a very weak password. So, website hacking comes down to one, making sure you're, you know, if you're if you're using like a, a provider like WordPress, or you know, your uh, domain provider like GoDaddy or whoever, you make sure you keep your stuff up to date, and you're working with someone who knows what they're doing. Right. We we have someone here, uh, Ann Shinton, who does our websites, she, and she has a team uh, called Ascend Inbalance, a sister company of ours. Right. And they deal with the websites and web data and uh, company company websites, and they do a great job keeping things up to date and safe. But the pr- the biggest thing is making sure those passwords for the web web ac- admin access are strong, because that's w- that's where you're going to start seeing people get into your website data. Oh, or on the flip side. You need to have good protocols in place so they can't take you down from the outside. So, you ever have you ever been on a um, computer network or wire internet network where it's real slow? Oh yeah. And they're like, oh, that's just because a lot of people are on it. It's peak time. Mm-hmm. I've heard that. Okay, so what happens with uh, websites sometimes is they're taken down through a uh, denial of service attack, where a hacker is able to use a n- number of devices like. The smart devices, the IoT devices, he's able to control an army of computers to essentially ping or touch that website, you know, a hundred thousands of times a second, a minute, whatever, and they can't keep up. Ah, and that's the same thing that happens when you're on a you know a network that's kind of crowded. It can't keep up; the pipe gets full. And so there are certain protocols that are put in place for websites to reroute that traffic. To cut it off, you know, there's certain things you can do on the uh, networking side of things to protect yourself. But at, at the end of the day, you know, whether it's passwords or denial of service attacks, your website's online. People know who you are. Mm-hmm. 
And so you really have to be careful with different vectors of attack. Yeah. And have someone that can advise you in the best way. For yeah. Them. Because now, you know, we use, uh, we use our websites to, to bring in business. And mm-hmm. if, if that business, that, that pipeline to business is cut off, that can really affect your bottom line, your, your, your money. And I read something about them being able to get in and redirect your website as well. Yes. That can happen. So whether it be redirecting or even uh, mimicking your uh, uh, site, um, this will make it impossible for the targets to access their accounts, give the hackers full, full seemingly authorized access to everything that you have. Um, and the worst the part about this is you make the person, like your customers, don't even know it's been you know, off, you know, taken over right. or mimicked or like you know, mass. So like I can make a website look like Paul Hampton's law firm. Mm-hmm. And there's, if there's any type of way to access my customer data from your website or, you know, try to email you, it's, like, it's, a, it's a false email. Hey, I need, you know, I'll email Paul. This is, oh, this is the email from his website. Yeah. It looks very similar to your website, but there are little things here and there changed so, so small and, you know, unnoticed in the details. Yeah. I just don't, you know, pay attention. Like there's, I've gotten emails from Bank of America or American Express mm-hmm. that look pretty legitimate. Yeah. And it's, I'm just like, man, this looks, and then, you know, you got to double take it. Wait, why are they asking for my password? That makes no sense, you know. Or why, if, if, if I go to, you know, Paul's, you know, your website, I'm like, wait, that's, that's not how you spell his name. Uh-huh. It's, it's small details yeah, like that. little things. You know, it's funny you mentioned that, and I, I had not thought about it until we started talking this morning, particularly about someone taking your website and redirecting the traffic. Someone mm-hmm. took my picture mm-hmm. off my Facebook uh, business site and copied it and started a new Facebook page. And I got a call from someone out of state, I think, said, are you Paul Hamilton? And I think someone's using your your likeness and has created this new thing. And I notified Facebook and they shut it down. Wow. Um, but that happened to me in, in my business and, and uh, was, a, was a problem. Um, well, um, that has given... Me a lot to think about in my business, Taylor, just all those different things. Is there anything else in particular that you wanted to touch on before we talk about, you know, the passing of digital assets? Um, just that, you know, uh, you know, make sure whether it's personal or it's business related, you have someone you can rely on to, you know, you know, I know, I don't know what I don't know. Right. So I refer to, I refer to people who do know. Right. And so having wise counsel, I think, is just crucial for anybody in business or per, their personal lives. And so that's that's my biggest recommendation because things always change, and someone out someone out someone else out there is a uh, what Malcolm Gladwell referred to a maven mm-hmm. on that kind of information. Right. And so uh, and it, there's a lot of people out there spending a lot of energy and time and getting smart to do nefarious things to our businesses mm-hmm. through technology. And you want to have the, the good guy on your, your side. <laughs> That's absolutely right. And, right. Yeah, but, um, and that to, to that, you know, I want to refer to you on this. This is a very fascinating topic for me because, you know, uh, living in the information age, you know, how, yes. how, how do you deal with digital assets? That's yeah. um, So give me, if I were to, you know, what's the average value? on a digital asset for the American household. You know, as we prepared to talk about this, I was astounded at this figure. Um, And this was from some survey that was done, gosh, back in 2011. There was a McAfee. I guess that's the folks, they'd have some uh, some Antivirus software, stuff like that, yeah. It said that there was a survey done in 2011 that said American households valued their digital assets at nearly $55,000. And that is just amazing to me. Uh, I guess, uh, and in, in now, and, and of course that was, what, nine years ago, eight years ago, um, that that survey was done. But when you start thinking about uh, catalogs of music that people buy, um, their iTunes and, and, and Amazon uh, books that are purchased, digital books that are purchased at, you know, sometimes 5 to $15 a pop. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still one of those guys that really like to have the physical <laughs> book in my hand, you know. Right. Um, but I have on occasion uh, bought the digital edition of the books. I bought legal books. I've got one legal book that I bought uh, the digital version of that I think I paid nearly $100 for. Wow. So, you know, if you mm. think about 
those things, uh, uh, it all adds up. It, well, re- it really does. And not to mention, like, you know, the sentimental value of things, too. you got photos. You have... Absolutely. You have all kinds of a- assets out there that are just, you know, irreplaceable. Yes, absolutely. They, um, they are. But I guess, you know, what, you know, this, this goes back to it, you know, to help the listeners understand, what is a digital asset defined? Well, one of the best definitions that I found, and, you know, as we talk about what legally uh, they're defined, one of the most comprehensive definitions is uh, from uh, the state of Oregon, and they have this defined in their law. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is defined, it says, digital assets means text, images, multimedia information, or personal property that is stored in a digital format, whether stored on a server, computer, or other electronic device which currently exists or may exist as technology develops. And regardless of the ownership of the physical device upon which the digital asset is stored, digital assets include, without limitation, any words, characters, codes, or contractual rights necessary to access the digital assets. So that is a very comprehensive uh, definition. Georgia's definition of digital assets is much shorter than that. Um, but I really liked this Oregon definition of digital assets because it really captures mm-hmm. uh, everything. Um, and we'll talk about some specific examples. Yeah, like, um, so like if I were to overview different types, you know, how that looked like. Okay. Well, you talked about um, personal mm-hmm. uh, stuff. And if you think about I get these emails from Shutterfly from pictures that I uploaded 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, kind of, it's similar to the thing on Facebook where it pops up memories from uh, so many years ago or, or last year, year before. So <clears throat> those are personal assets, those pictures you have on Shutterfly and Flickr. Um, and as you said, you know, those are, are very personal to us. The stuff we put on Facebook, you know, there's a service that allows you to go back and download all your Facebook posts for the past year and puts it in the form of a book. Mm-hmm. And I've actually gone back and, and over the period of five or six years and had those put into book form because it almost becomes a digital dic- uh, digital diary, yeah. if you will, because it's funny that uh, I think, People's thoughts and feelings, uh, emotions, political statements, family stuff is now captured probably more now digitally because people, you know, punch that into Facebook and it's there forever. Mm-hmm. And as opposed to, you know, going and writing in a diary, I think that that concept of writing a diary, some people were good at it. George H.W. Uh, Bush was famously uh, good at, at capturing uh, things, particularly during his presidency of uh, what was going on, but uh, I know a lot of uh, a lot of us don't do that, but we are doing it through Facebook. Right, you know, we, yeah. whether we know it or not. Whether we know it or not, or, or tweets, you know, mm-hmm. the, all those tweets that, uh, you know, I was looking at something, they compiled a, a book of President Trump's tweets because he's oh, the most wow. prolific <laughs> tweeter. <laughs> wow. And, and they're going to be considered, you know, presidential statements. But, yeah. but that yeah. um, personal is uh, one type of digital asset, and mm-hmm. social media we've touched on. Uh, Facebook, back in the day, MySpace, uh, LinkedIn is still out there, Twitter's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, then you think about your financial accounts. Uh, you know, uh, we talked about, uh, um, you know, all the stuff you have through Amazon and PayPal. We talked about Bitcoin, uh, eBay accounts, all mm-hmm. those things that, uh, those are digital assets. And then you have business accounts, Um any kind of commercial stuff that you have, uh, customer orders, shipping addresses, credit card data, all that stuff is uh, considered a digital asset. Domain names and blogs. I mean, I'm putting, I'm producing information. I know Next Step is producing information mm-hmm. uh, that helps your business, helps your clients. Those are assets. Mm-hmm. Those are things that can be passed down and can continue to be beneficial. We know that domain names, I, uh, I switched the name of my law practice early on because I got a partner, and I wanted my old domain name back, and mm-hmm. it was my initials, PWH Law. Um, and uh, turns out, when I wanted that old, old domain name back, somebody, I don't know if they were in the U.K., 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there was someone in the UK, and I reached out to them. I was like, hey, you've got my old domain. Are you interested? And he goes, well, for the right price, of course. There are people who collect domain names for that purpose. Yes. We're in the business of collecting domain names. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I see po- politicians do it. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll want to get their opponent's name. Mm-hmm. Um so they can, when someone punches in that name, it pops up all the negative stuff about their oh, opponent. Yeah. Um, so those domain names can be valuable. Um, and it's a digital asset. Loyalty program benefits, whether it's a Starbucks card or a Best Buy Rewards card or anything like that, that can be, uh, um, uh, can be a digital asset. So those are um, many different types of, uh, of digital assets. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a lot, and it, it seems like you know the, the this modern world, you know, less brick and mortar and more online. Yes, it's become very important. So what? And this comes down to planning. So how important it is to plan for these digital assets? To you know, going forward. Well, there's um, there's re- many reasons um, why you want to plan uh, for uh, your digital assets and and documenting them. And, and the first and foremost is to make things easier on uh, whoever is uh, going to be carrying out your your will, um, to make things easier on them and your family members. And I can tell you just from, um, you know, if you've lost a close friend or a family member, uh, one of the first things I do is I probably go look on their Facebook page. Oh, wow. I, that's probably one of the first things yeah. if, if I know they're you know on mm-hmm. social media mm-hmm. um, and that uh, that somehow is comforting to go back and look at uh, you know things that they've posted funny videos uh, of, of them when they're on Facebook so it's important I uh, I had a family member that that lost a child and it was important to her to have access to uh, that Facebook mm-hmm. information yeah. Um, it kind of, you know, if depending on how long it's been since you last communicated with them, you might glean what was going on in their life. Um, yeah. So being able to preserve that, to, you know, and, and sometimes uh, uh, when we lose someone to uh, such a tragic thing such as suicide, you might want to know what was going on inside mm-hmm. their head. So you might want to get into their email. You might want to know what, you know, you're always looking for answers Mm -hmm. as to why a person, you know, took that route. Um, And that can be uh, oddly, you know, comforting to kind of be able to look into those things. Um, So if you uh, if you leave if you leave a record of of where your stuff is, um, you know, that can be important. There are other reasons as well for planning for digital assets. One is to prevent identity theft. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be important, uh, you know, uh, as you're settling an estate and uh, gathering all the assets, you don't want someone else to scoop in and pretend to be them. Um, so that is helpful there. It's also to prevent financial losses to the estate. Um, if you think about uh, uh, if, you, if, if someone has passed and they're receiving uh, incoming receivables, uh, yeah. bill payments that are due to them, um, domain names, uh, if uh, if you know someone passes, they might have a domain name out there that is worth money, and you want to be able to get with that company, whether it's uh, GoDaddy or iPower or mm-hmm. whoever uh, those companies are, and say, okay, we want to get this, you know, the new owner transferred, whether it's a family member or a business partner or whatever. Uh, encrypted files, uh, those can be important, important business information that may be in those files. Uh, virtual property. Uh, such as, uh, you know, online games, uh, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's also, you know, going back to, to uh, other stuff, it's, you know, it's important because you want to have that person that's died, you can also glean their personal story yeah. um, through Facebook, through LinkedIn, through uh, Shutterfly, through Facebook, all those different things. Um Sometimes there might be things that you don't want other people to learn about that loved one, so you want to protect their. You might mm-hmm. want to protect their reputation, yeah, um, or secrets uh, that other people might discover if you don't grab, put your arms around those digital assets. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, <clears throat> and it's and we've got to prepare for an increasingly information rich culture um, by by making sure we plan um, for 
passing of digital assets. It, there's a lot um, of things out there about us that we should uh, that we should make sure that uh, when when we pass that the right people have that information so they can they can take care of it. Wow, yeah, and that just you know going back to I've lost people and friends and stuff like that, and I've I've, I've looked at their you know social media, but not only that, just like the writings they had on their computer. Like they, he, he, a friend of mine used to write a lot, yeah, and just being able to access those writings and kind of just read his thoughts oh, yeah. and blogs. It's and, amazing how yeah. how important that is when you run across that kind of stuff and how it touches you. And mm-hmm. and uh, I lost a cousin at a young age; he was twenty. And uh, he had wrote a paper mm-hmm. um, for school, and that was important to me. Yeah. And he had done a, a drawing when he was little. One Mother's Day weekend, uh, we had spent at his house when he was just, uh, gosh, I bet he was only 10, 10 or 11. He had drawn a picture of us playing basketball, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and so we talk about those tangible things, but a lot of that's digitally stored now. Our, our legacy is online. Our legacy is online. That's yeah. that's a very that's, that's a very uh, uh, neat way to put it. It really is. Um, and with all that, you know, um, my next question will be: you know, Are there forms available to capture <coughs> all this digital asset information? Yes, there okay. there are. You have to hunt for them, and yeah. And I think I'm going to try to take one that I found <coughs> and put it on our website okay. for people to to download. And it basically it. It lists like the devices, and you think about it. I, you know, I've got an iPad, an iPhone, my laptop, mm-hmm. and I'm using those things mm-hmm. all the time. And they all have different passwords. You know, my phone looks at my face now to let me in. Right. My laptop has a fingerprint, but it also has a PIN number that allows me to access it. Um, my iPad has the face; it also has a code mm-hmm. to let me in. Um, so you can you can write all that down. You can write what those pens are, usernames and passwords. Uh, you know, some people might have. Uh, you know, think about all the different devices. You've got um, computers. You've got voicemail mm-hmm. that you have to enter passwords to get into. Uh, tablets, uh, your DVR, your TiVo at home. Even <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know that may even be protected. Um, and then you think about think about the email accounts. Very rarely oh, wow. does anyone have just one email. They've got one for work. They might have one for personal, and they might have one for junk. I have, you know, four, I have four. You have four. Have four. So that's a <clears throat> a perfect example mm-hmm. of uh, of different types of email accounts. Then you have domain names to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, I have uh, I have two domain uh, two domains that I use for business. Yeah. So um, those those are important to capture. Uh, online storage, Dropbox, Google, mm-hmm. Google Drive, um, all of those online storage, uh, different ones that you can use. I know Amazon has a lot of storage that you can use with them. Financial software. I know we, uh, you know, what we use at our office, and I have to get enter a code to get into that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know when I access banking. I've got business and personal banking stuff that, you know, I probably need to write down the website, the username, the password. Um, Stocks, bonds, securities, same thing. Uh, Income taxes, you can uh, access through uh, different uh, providers your income tax information. Uh, Retirement and insurance uh, websites that you can get in, credit card websites. Yeah. I mean, there's just, uh, I mean, this is three or four pages. Debts. You know, where you can go in and pay your mortgage mm-hmm. or you pay your car payment, you can pay your student loan, all that information. Yeah. You know, I can, I've got it all on this computer. I can tap into it and I know exactly. But if something happens to me, woe be to the person that has to figure out all of this. Uh, think about your utilities, your electric, gas, internet, phone, TV, trash, water, all that stuff. You know, is a lot of people pay that online and digitally. If you know, if you need to shut off that service or do something different, um, your businesses, your Amazon.com, your eBay.com account, your social networks, you can, uh, you need to capture all that uh, digital media accounts such as Netflix and iTunes and YouTube and Hulu yeah. and Kindle. And I use all of those. Every one of them mm-hmm. I use and. 
I talked uh, briefly about loyalty programs. Uh, you know, you might have a Delta SkyMiles account. You know what? Those points matter. have value. Yeah, they do. Those points have value yeah. because, you know, I know every year I get a free ticket, um, companion ticket, and, you know, that's something that can um, sometimes be passed on. Um, and then you uh, then there are other accounts. You may have medical records that be online. So, you know, we use, um, I use 1Password to capture a lot of this. Uh, it's very convenient. Um, but we also have to think about those people that aren't savvy with, mm-hmm. with uh, that kind of stuff. So, you know, if you, you can write it down and put it in a safe or a safe place or a safety deposit box mm-hmm. um, and update it, you know, on an annual basis. Of course, now they make us change passwords so frequently. So yeah, sorry, you know, sorry about that. It's <laughs> for security purposes, I promise. For security purposes. So yeah. but yeah, I'm going to uh, I'm going to make a good uh, stab at, at creating and adopting um, some of these other uh, examples so that people can go online and, and uh, have this so they can uh, if, if something God forbid happens to them or a loved one they'll have a a, a written record of it and if you don't have a written record. You know, if you give someone your master password to, uh, so, I mean, obviously it would have to be a very close, trusted uh, family member or friend that you wouldn't want to give that to anybody. But um, that's uh, that's something we can do. So that's a long answer to a short question, but an important one. But very important. And you mentioned, you know, one password as your password manager. And uh, we highly encourage the password managers because, you, at least with password managers, you have complicated ones for security purposes. And then, oh know, yeah, and it's an easier way to keep up with everything. But um, I'm doing research into this before our interview. You know, I looked into digital asset instruction letter, and you know, wh- what is that? What is that letter? And what does it kind of suggest? Well, this is kind of to get people started, and and I ran across this, and they called it virtual assets instruction letter, and it was uh, it's a a process to get people thinking about their digital assets. Um, and, and this was a proposed uh, six-step process, and basically it talked about identify each digital asset and determine, um, you know, what's going to happen to that upon your death or incapacity. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a lot of older people, a lot of baby boomers that are, are starting to get older now. Um, and as, uh, as grandparents and parents age, you know, they, uh, their ability to recall and, and find uh, and identify all that stuff uh, diminishes. And then at their death, you know, what's out there, who has access to that and, and whatnot. And then so we need to think through digital assets that your loved ones, uh, that how they maintain them and how they have access to them and to have a written or electronic list of those assets together with their passwords. We also need to think about how we should, at what point do we need uh, certain things. There may come a point where your loved one, if they're if they're uh, aging and uh, they may not need certain accounts uh, mm-hmm. anymore. <clears throat> How do we appropriately terminate those accounts? Yeah. Um, it talks about saving a list of digital assets or instructions to a drive, uh, a, a USB drive, or or somewhere in a secure location, and telling telling your uh, loved ones how you can access this. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, typically with the will, you know, the parent will say, hey, the will's in the in the filing cabinet in the top drawer. You know, that's where you can get it. Well, now, maybe with that will, we put that form that has all those uh, access to all those different things. Um, and making sure that that's all, all there and giving them the power. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk a little bit about that in a minute, but... Um, and if there are other person, if there's persons other than your personal representatives, um, you know, you might you can give that authority not just to one person. You might give it to multiple. You know, you might give it to one person as primary and another person as secondary. So, yeah. you know, those are some of the things that a digital asset instruction letter covers. It gets people thinking through that process. You know, when we go to do a uh, a healthcare power of attorney, we have to think about okay, who. Who do we want to have the authority to withdraw life-sustaining support if you're in a persistent vegetative state? Right. So now we're thinking um, along the same lines of, okay, I've got all this. Um, if something happens to me and I can't make these decisions anymore, who's going to be in charge of getting the d- domain to somebody else's name? Because, you know, those things have value. Yes. When, when, particularly when we think about it in our business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then the personal stuff, the, protecting the personal story, protecting the personal 
uh, assets and you know different different kinds of things. So good things to think about. Oh yeah, great things and uh, a lot a lot to uh, look into. But um, are there any kind of samples that can be sent to uh, sent to a company or request loved ones digital asset information? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I ran across a great uh, a great letter. You know, and it. it it's uh, you know when, if you have a loved one that's passed and and they um, and they've given you consent and by law some things now are, are providing people uh, consent it just it's a letter and I'm gonna I'll put a, a a sample of this on our website as well and give people a link to it um, but it just basically is a letter that that uh, says I'm the I'm the personal representative of this person and they passed on this date or they're now incapacitated. Um, and here's a copy of their death certificate. Here's where I have the power to do this. And would you please give me access to, say, their email account or their Amazon.com account? You know, maybe, you know, they may have a $150 Amazon credit mm-hmm. on there. It's not uncommon for people to have uh, an iTunes credit mm-hmm. or an Amazon.com credit. And sometimes, I, I mean, I. I know people that have gotten like a thousand dollar certificate to buy Amazon goods before, and right. that's a significant asset that can be passed along. So, yeah, there are there there are letters that are out there that deal with digital assets that can be sent to those uh, those uh, content providers so that a loved one can get access to them, whether the person is incapacitated or has uh, passed on. So if I were to send a letter to, say, Google, for, for example, um, what type of uh, beneficiary designation process do they kind of go through? It's really interesting. I didn't know this um, until we were working on uh, – I was working on preparing for this discussion that we were having. And Google actually has a uh, – it allows you to provide a designated beneficiary to your account. Um, and you know Google, they're always watching what we're doing, and, and they've yeah. become yeah. a multi-billion-dollar uh, company because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of, you know, they they're always watching what Paul Hamilton is doing on his Google mm-hmm. account. And if they know, if you put a, uh, there's a form, and evidently they you can fill out with them. I haven't gone so far to find that form, but evidently they have one. Mm-hmm. They keep track of your online activity. If they notice a period of inactivity, they try to text you and say, hey, you hadn't logged on in a while. How you doing? And if they don't get a response, then they contact your beneficiary and well, say, hey, we noticed that Paul hasn't you know, logged on and hasn't been on any of his Google accounts. And are you, uh, do you know how he is or whatever? And, uh, if uh, at that point that trusted person, hopefully you identify someone that, that keeps in touch with you, then they can pass along and say, hey, you know, Paul named you. If they say, oh, Paul, you know, died, you know, tragically, you know, or, or has passed on because of whatever, they can say, well, he identified you as beneficiary and we're going to give you access to, to his stuff because that's what he wanted. It's a really neat thing. And I, I'd be, I'd, I really... Um, I know that Facebook has done something yeah. in this vein right. where, where you can now have a memorial page when someone uh-huh. passes, so that's right. something to look into. That's it. that's interesting because, you know, especially with Google because, you know, everyone, typically almost everybody has a Gmail account of some kind. Or, Absolutely. And, you know, a good good way to kind of make sure those passwords we were talking about, at least if you have access to Gmail, you can reset passwords. That's right. And so I think that's I think, I think everybody should at least look into that. That's important. Absolutely. Um, so talk, talking about Georgia. Uh, do we have any laws regarding digital assets? I mean, you mentioned Oregon beforehand, but you know, what, what about Georgia? What about our state? Interestingly, Georgia just, uh, it looks like the last legislative session last year, um, enacted a law called the Revised Uniform Fiduciary Access to Digital Assets Act. Wow. <laughs> and that is a mouthful. Yeah. Leave it to lawyers in the legislature to uh, create a bill, uh, a piece of legislation. Of course, we're always wordy. Um, but yes, they uh, they have. And I think this is a trend that uh, many of the states have, uh, have followed uh, to put into place uh, ways and, and a vehicle uh, that uh, a fiduciary or someone acting on someone's behalf can get access to their digital assets. So, yeah, we do have a law in place that uh, was uh, went into effect on July the 1st of 2018. Oh, wow. And it's a 13-page bill um, mm-hmm. that, that lays out uh, things that can be done. Um, I guess what is required 
to gain access to a loved one's digital assets in Georgia. Okay. The, uh, the, the law lays out, um, and it says that uh, anybody that's acting under a will or a per- power of attorney or a personal representative that is acting for someone who's passed away or a conservator, which is someone appointed by the court to act on someone's behalf that is incapacitated, or a trustee, um, a trustee of a, a trust can often, uh, oftentimes, uh, you know, takes control at a certain point to handle the affairs, generally of a parent or a trusted friend. Um, what they can do and what this, what this law sets out is um, it establishes the relationship between the custodian, which is generally the, could be the internet service provider or someone like Google or Facebook. They're considered the custodian because they control the, the site. Correct. And it establishes a relationship between um, the fiduciary mm-hmm. um, and the custodian. And basically, um, what you have to do is fill out a, uh, a uh, written request, uh, provide, in, uh, in cases of death, a certified copy of the death certificate, um, and then a certified copy of your, what are called letters testamentary or letters of administration, whatever it is that gives you the authority by law mm-hmm. to do it, um, and then a copy of the will, the trust, power of attorney. Um, the custodian can ask for additional things, uh, such as usernames, uh, any po- possible passwords that you have, something that links the account that you're asking about to the user. Right. Um, and they can they can ask for additional things, um, and they have. You know, sometimes, and I think what we're going to see more and more of is we have sample language now to put in wills that gives people, hey, you know, I grant authority to my executor or personal representative to have access to all these accounts. Mm-hmm. And they may say, I don't want them to have access to certain <laughs> accounts, you know, yeah. depending on what it is and what the nature of it is. Um, but it really is important that Georgia stay <clears throat> up to date and in the 21st uh Century making sure that uh, that law law sometimes lags behind technology. Yeah. Um, so I was proud of Georgia that they uh, they went in and and enacted this um, piece of legislation um, that allows a trusted uh, fiduciary or loved one of someone that is incapacitated um, or has passed uh, a way and a mechanism to. Uh, to get to those digital assets because they certainly can uh, be important. That's that's good to know. Um, I learned a lot today. Um, I didn't realize how in depth this would go, but this makes a lot of sense. How you know, especially you know, I, I live online and I didn't think about you know, I'm, I'm young obviously, but I haven't think, thought about how this information is going to be passed down. That's or, right. You know, it's you know, back in the you know back in the day, my parents kept the file cabinet for everything. That's right. And they told me what the will was. <laughs> and now yeah. I'm now I'm like you know I'm paperless. Yes, and like that's Absolutely. how that's how we live. And just it's you know, it. Taylor, I I've gone into law offices and where they have added on fifteen hundred to two thousand square feet to their office just to hold their old old files, their documents. Wow, um, that used to be. Oh, we got to add on to the office because we got all these files. But we started, uh, gosh, about five or six years ago, scanning everything. Yeah. Scanning everything and and making sure it's all digital and it's there forever and I don't have to have storage space and mm-hmm. spend you know there are warehouses in Atlanta full of legal documents still yep <laughs> and uh, but we're to an age and I was trying to tell my son the other day I was talking about you know living in the information age I was like you know when when I was your age when I was eleven there was no internet yeah there you know and we had these big clunky things called cell phones and you know they mm-hmm. were you know about as they, they would fit in your uh, backpack yeah, yeah <laughs> they yeah. were so big so <laughs> things have changed and I learned a lot too about you know protecting my business uh, presently uh, through all these uh, cyber security threats and, and and it's good to know that there are people uh, like you and and your company at next step that can provide services to the businesses. Um, to uh, to protect their data now, mm-hmm. uh, and hopefully we've given people something to think about as uh, as we create uh, all all of this and then we acquire digital assets. Um, hopefully we've given people an idea of how they can um, memorialize that, 
and put something in place so it can be passed down to their loved ones should something um, happen to them or they uh, become incapacitated. So uh, I'm glad we got to do this. Looks like we're just under an hour okay. <laughs> of doing this. So uh, Good. thanks, Taylor. It's uh, It's been fun. Thank you for having me.